5: Thank
6: Folks, Black Star Network is here. Hold oh, no punches. I'm real uh, revolutionary
4: right now.
1: <laughs> Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told.
6: I thank you for being the voice of Black America, Rollins. I love y'all.
7: All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The
2: video looks phenomenal. See this difference between Black Star Network and Black owned media and something like CNN. You can media and b-skate it's time to be smart bring your eyeballs home you dig
6: Today is Monday, July 18th, 2022. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Start Network, Vice President Kamala Harris speaks to the NAACP National Convention in Atlantic City, New Jersey. She lays down the law when it comes to not only the issue of abortion rights, but also gun control. And she says it is time for us to take away the immunity that gun manufacturers We'll show you excerpts of her speech. Byron Allen buys the assets of the Black News Channel. We'll tell you exactly how much he bought those assets for. Also on today's show, two young Black girls just dismissed by Sesame Street. They respond, Black folks say, we ain't buying your BS. Also, on today's show, those Secret Service text messages. They're supposed to be delivered the January 6th committed tomorrow. What does it say about what is often seen as the most trusted law enforcement agency in the country? Have they been corrupted by Donald Trump? And we'll talk about the report out of Uvalde, Texas. Nearly 400 cops were on the scene in the school. 400, nearly 400 total breakdown in Texas. Texas rep Jasmine Crockett will join us on the show. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on
8: it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the
6: in Atlantic City, New Jersey, the NAACP held their 113th National Convention. Uh, The keynote speaker today, Vice President Kamala Harris. She talked about a range of issues to thousands who were congregated there. And she laid out very clearly uh, the Biden administration's position when it comes to guns, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to race in America.
3: We must also take steps to protect other fundamental freedoms, including the freedom for a woman to make decisions about her own body. And, you know, on this subject, it's important to note that to support a woman's ability, not her government, but her, to make that decision does not require anyone to abandon their faith or their beliefs. It just requires us to agree the government shouldn't be making that decision for her. And think about it. For the first time in generations, the United States Supreme Court, the highest court of our land, The former court of Thurgood Marshall took a constitutional right that had been recognized from the people of America, from the women of America. We know, NAACP, that our country has a history of claiming ownership over human bodies and today extremist so-called leaders are criminalizing doctors and punishing women for making health care decisions for themselves, personal decisions. That is her right to make in consultation with her doctor, her pastor, her priest, her rabbi, her loved ones, not her government telling her what to do. And these so-called leaders, so-called, claim that, well, you know, we just think that this is a decision that should be made by the folks in the states. People in the states can vote on this. Right? But at this moment, many of those same so-called leaders are the same ones who are passing laws to restrict the ability of people to vote. Laws, they're passing laws, the same people. Laws that ban drop boxes and restrict early voting. Laws that make it illegal to give people food and water for waiting in line to vote. Undemocratic laws. Un-American laws. You know, I asked my team to to you know I you remember Venn diagrams, those three circles, right? And then let's just see where they overlap. So I asked my team. I said, you know, do a Venn diagram on two circles for me. Um, and, and in particular, the overlap of states that are attacking the freedom to vote and attacking women's freedoms over their own bodies. There are 10 states that are doing both. Here's the point. Our freedoms are all connected. Consider the freedom to vote. The freedom to vote is the freedom that unlocks all others. Is It is a catalyst for economic justice, for social justice, for racial justice. And generations of leaders gave their sweat, their tears, their blood in its defense. So leaders of the NAACP, together we have fought hard to move our nation forward and yet We must recognize there are those who are fighting to drag us backward. Extremist so-called leaders who are attempting to undermine our democracy and assault our most fundamental freedoms. The freedom to be safe from gun violence. The freedom to make decisions about our own bodies and the freedom to vote.
6: All right, folks, let's get into with our panel. Joining us right now, Dr. Julianne Malvo. She, of course, uh, is the dean um, out in California. First of all, President uh, Emeritus uh, Bennett College. She also dean College of Ethnic Studies, California State University, L.A., a Macongo Dabinga professorial lecturer, School of International Service, American University, Reverend Jeff Carr, founder of the Infinity Fellowship in Nashville. All right, so what you're seeing here, uh, Juliana, you're seeing the VP uh, going out there. She, of course, was at the AK convention, speaking here at the NAACP. I said last week that it makes perfect sense to get her out more, get her out of D.C. Uh, Since it's not voting, you don't need her there to break 50-50 ties. And so if I'm this White House, she's hitting every black convention uh, she's going, to, she's talking to criminal justice at the National Bar Association. She's going to NABJ, NAHJ. She's going to the, uh, to the America National Medical Association. Uh, she's going to the National Dental Association. Uh, they have got to get out of the D.C. New York bubble and go to the states talking to folks, not only at the conventions, but talking to legislators and others on the ground in these cities and states.
9: Absolutely. I think it's a great move on the part of the White House, but I think that we think about it, maybe uh, it's a little late. Um, she not only needs to go to these national conventions, which I think is very important, and she will be at many of those, as you've mentioned, but I think it's also important for her to hit some of the community centers, to talk to some of, again, you, here's the issue, Roland. There are people who are disillusioned. They're not going to be at the NAACP convention. They're not going to be at the Urban League Convention, and certainly they won't be at NABJ or NAHJ. These are the folks who need to see her touching the people that we want to get out to vote for 2022. We're just a few months away from that midterm election, and from the numbers that I'm seeing that we're all seeing, it's not a great thing. It's just that we don't have the momentum that we need. But, you know, the vice president is doing a great job, as she always does. But I wish that the White House would do as great a job about communicating message. She's an effective messenger, but it's very disheartening to see uh, President Biden take body blow after body blow after body blow, and his communications team is not fighting back. You seen this time and again. Kamala out there, good thing. A little, little bit more aggressive messaging, better thing. DNC engage even best thing, but again, what's going on with the DNC?
6: The, the thing, though, <clears throat> I'm a Congo that, uh, when, when I look at this, because she didn't just speak at the NAACP, uh, held um, uh, a roundtable discussion on reproductive rights with leaders there in New Jersey. Um, to me, that, that is the smart strategy, but again, it gets her out of D.C., allows them not only to speak at the national conventions, touch local leaders, but also drive me- media in those particular locales. as well and so that way you're having a message message is going directly to people as opposed to hoping national media covers it
10: uh, absolutely and you know it's kind of like bittersweet because you know we love her so much and but she's not out in the open like you've been you've been calling on this for for, for weeks man remember when after they won the like her first stop was to West Virginia to get by uh, to pressure mansion to, to vote on their legislation and it caused all of this turmoil right within the party. And I think that she's been so restrained because the vice president has to follow the policies of the president and his moves. And Biden has been so late to respond to things. How late was he to talk about filibuster reform as relates to voting rights? How late was he to get out the executive orders relating to abortion and like he's been so behind the ball. And I feel like Vice President Harris has just been chomping at the bit watching all of this happen, like, yo, get on this, do this, do that. And so the fact that she's doing it now is is great. Like, uh, I, I do feel like like Dr. Malvo said, it's a little bit late. But if the pressure continues, if she stays on this track, continues to use the biggest platform and the biggest pulpit that the president and the vice president have, then it's going to start to have that continued engagement from the press from the communities because right now what I'm seeing rolling and you know this better than anybody I'm seeing all of these news cycles they're only they're pretty much talking about 2024 in the presidential election like 2022 was a done deal yep and with with pressure from vice president Harris mm-hmm. getting out there and speaking like she does and knowing the facts and knowing the courts and knowing all of these things she can really start to sway people to start to really say hey we're not done yet hey we more work to do. Hey, we still got to put some more pressure on in a way that President uh, Biden just has not been doing on a consistent basis. So it's great to hear her. But like you said, we need to see a lot more and not just this summer season. When folks come back in the session, she needs to be all up in it, just like she's doing right now.
6: And look, Jeff, uh, the White House has been very careful when it comes to COVID, uh, taking the necessary precautions, things along those lines. But the reality is Other groups are meeting. Uh, They should be having, uh, I dare say, weekly town halls in critical battleground states. They should be taking Air Force One or Air Force Two and having town halls with voters, with the public in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in in, uh, in Georgia, in North Carolina, in Florida, in Pennsylvania. Again, those Ohio, those states, where they're going to need to pick up wins, Uh, in in the Senate races that's that's how that's how you actually do it be willing to take folks on when it comes to the issue of inflation of gas prices in fact uh, I want to show a tweet uh, and this uh, this was a little bit earlier again of course it's no shock that you don't see uh, Fox News or Fox Business talking about this why because uh, things have changed now how often did we have to deal with these people uh, Jeff who were yelling, hollering, and screaming constantly uh, about uh, gas prices? Well, uh, President uh, President Biden actually uh, issued a uh, puts it down a tweet. Let me see if I can pull up on this phone over here, uh, talking about how gas prices have dropped. But again, they've got to be making that point known, not just in tweets. You've got to be making that point known uh, to. Uh, folks and, and again driving that thing home because you can't count on the same price So first of all here was a tweet that he sent out right here. Uh, let me know if y'all are seeing it um, Hopefully, okay, let me do this here. Let me see if I can pull it back up All right, let's see here. There we go. Okay. All right First of all this tweet went out all prices have come down 20% from June highs But high prices of the pump have only come down half as much as unacceptable It's time for oil and gas companies to pass along their lower costs to Americans, okay? Now, uh, that's uh, Biden hitting uh, the oil companies. This is the chart that they posted. This is what they need to be actually uh, showing right here, okay? It's showing dollars per barrel. So you see how the gas prices are still remaining high even though dollars per barrel have actually dropped, okay? You see what's going on there. Uh, He also, uh, and again, to me, you gotta be having this thing where it's going out, it's going out to the public, and they're seeing it, and they're also uh, responding. He sent this tweet out here on the Twitter feed Gas prices have, gone, have been dropping for 34 days straight, about 50 cents a gallon. That saves the average driver about $25 a month. Uh, I know those extra dollars and cents mean something. It's breathing room, and we're not done working to get, get, get prices even lower. Of course, the haters are not gonna say anything about that, but again, Putting them in the position where they're talking to voters. Yeah, you might get a situation where you get criticized by a voter, but you take that chance because you gotta be communicating with regular, everyday folk.
2: You know, there are a number of issues that are coming up with this, Roland, um, and Dr. Malvo has touched on them, so is uh, uh, Brother Dr. Ome Konko. Uh, when we talk about how do we reach the average voter? That should be the focus of this White House. And when I mean this White House, I mean the one-two punch of President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, it's not, there's n- there's been a precedent for sending out the VP to kind of do the dirty work. To be the the fisticuff uh, person, we saw it in the first in the Obama administration. We saw that uh, that's where the name and, and one of the uh, titles for a president or a vice president at the time, Joe Biden, came from. People started calling him Uncle Joe because they felt like Uncle Joe was going to be the guy that scrapped. Uh, when it was time to go down, Uncle Joe could step up. And part of that was because he had a scrappy personality. He had a lot of energy. He was from Pennsylvania. He wasn't taking any mess. Uh, And he also had the cover of white privilege. So he could attack and go off on anybody and it not... Uh, have a negative effect on the electorate. We're seeing this role now being assigned to Vice President Kamala Harris. She's going out and she's being heavy-fisted, whether that's in front of 12,000 sorors at AKA or whether it's in front of the NAACP or any number of conventions. Something that uh, Dr. Julianne said uh, is something that I want to expand on. How do you get to the average voter? Uh, Perhaps they are using the typical or the the archetypal Saul Alinsky method of going into a community organizing model where you're trying to talk to stakeholders first. There's a delicate balance that has to be struck here. You have to talk to big conventions so that you can get um, earned media, but somehow those stakeholders are going to have to go back to their communities and talk to people. And that is not going to happen on Twitter. Twitter is a very specific place. And, small. and in the eyes of... And at, small. Exactly.
6: I, I, and very, all, very small. Out of all the platforms, it's actually the smallest compared to Facebook, TikTok, Instagram.
2: Well, we heard this. We heard this uh, uh, several months back when Dave Chappelle's closer came out and he said people are saying they drugged me on Twitter, which is all right with me because Twitter is not a real place. So when you when you look at it that way, you have to say, yes, we want to hear from Vice President Kamala Harris. We like the we like the news clips and the sound bites, but we really want to hear from Uncle Joe. People are now beginning to say, where is the energy from the White House? Where is the White House? Where is the leader of the quote unquote free world engaging average everyday voters? People need to listen on the White House staff, and they probably are. They need to listen to and monitor this show because what we're saying to them is it's got to trickle down to the average voter. The Republicans, the conservatives, the right wing of the Republican Party, which is now the entire party, Everything that happens, they have a soundbite ready, and they are out at a town hall, they are out in a community meeting, they are out canvassing, and they are telling their side of the story. Just like when you gave that example of the 10-year-old that was raped uh, and had to travel to another state for an abortion, they completely denied it across the board. And when it was proven to be true, they immediately had a response that was another complete lie. But they got that into the electorate, and they got it out quick. The Democrats are gonna have to do that quickly. Get the message to the grassroots so that people can turn out, not in 2024, but right now in the midterms when so much is at stake. You take advantage of uh, what's happening right
6: now. And, And yeah, look, I have people who hit me up constantly about 2024, and I'm like, I don't give a damn about 2024. I'm focused on November, you know? Yeah. And, 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 the, and the thing here is, and again, I, I love all these people. I, I get a kick out of these people. Uh, Julian, they'll sit here, and they'll be sitting here. Oh, all you care. Uh, I, this is when I really laugh at, really laugh about the most. Oh, uh, 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 you sitting here, uh, you, you focus on the Democrats. Let me just help y'all out just like a little news flash. There are two political parties in America.
10: Mm -hmm.
6: Two. Now, there are other parties, Libertarian Party, Green Party, but please show me where their candidates are. So here's what's going to happen come November. Um, Somebody's going to win. Mm -hmm. Mm Okay? Somebody with a D, in front of their name is going to win or somebody with a r in front of their name is going to win and so here's what i dare challenge all of you people who are fba or ados or non-affiliated or call yourselves independent if you call yourselves black you call yourselves african-american You call yourselves pan-Africanist. I don't care what you call yourself, okay? I don't care what it is. So I'm including everybody. Gay, straight, transgender, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, Muslim, man, woman, everybody in. I'm putting everybody in this loop. This is what I want to ask you, very simple. What are the five most important things do you care about? Mm. And where does the person who's running stand on those five things? Yep. See, here's the deal. I'm not telling you to vote for a Democrat or Republican. What I am telling you is this is what I know as a fact. I know as a fact that not a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and show y'all this because just in case y'all say it's rolling. <laughs> okay, just in case y'all try to say, well, that was him. Yeah. If if I recall, if I recall when I pulled this thing up. When they were talking about gas prices, when they voted when they voted in the House uh, to when it came to gas prices, <clears throat> not one Republican voted to stop mm-hmm. oil companies from hiking prices, price gouging. Mm-hmm. not one <laughs> If I recall. Oma, Congo, the week after 10 black people were shot and killed in Buffalo, New York. Tell it. Every Republican except one voted against a domestic terrorism bill that dealt Mm -hmm. directly with the shooting of 10 black people in Buffalo, New York. If I recall correctly, Jeff, 47 Republican senators voted against advancing that bill forward. Mm -hmm. Y'all, I'm not telling you who to vote for. Mm -hmm. I am offering you factual information that happened. It... If I recall correctly, Julian, there was a bill that recently came up um, condemning ne- neo Nazis um, in the military. Let's see. Neo Nazis in the. <laughs> oh, hmm. 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 Now, again, I ain't telling y'all who to vote for. But what I have right here is... No, go go, go to my iPhone. It says right here, Julian, every single House Mm -hmm. Republican voted against investigating neo-Nazis in the military. The article says all 208 House Republicans thumbed their noses at an amendment to a bill that would order the government to investigate white supremacists and neo-Nazi activity in the military and... Federal law enforcement. Y'all, this is a screenshot right here of the actual vote. Mm. Now, for all of y'all people, oh, you trying to make us vote Democrat. I ain't trying to make you vote nothing. But what I am walking you through is if the, show the graphic again. If these people win the House, I want all y'all watching right now, and my next guest going to further explain it. Y'all, if these people who all voted no, all 208, I just want y'all to understand they will be in control in January. Let, Let me just again. Oh, I, I hear y'all. We should get something for our vote. Oh, you're going to get something if you don't vote. Oh, you're going to get something. You're going to get Jim Jordan in control of committees. You're going to get Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene. See, mm-hmm. y'all can play games if you want to. But what I do know is these folks are utterly hostile to anything on anybody's black agenda. But y'all go ahead and play games and try to say, oh, you shilling for Democrats. No, I'm advocating for black people. Yes. And let me be clear. Because y'all have heard me say it. Can't nobody lie and say they never said it. I have said my entire career voting is the end of one process and the beginning of the other. We have to put pressure on the very folk who we vote for so if they win, they then do what we said they, what they were going to do. And if they don't do it, we then should support Those and run folks against them when it's time for re-election. Julian.
9: You know, Roland, I got the soundtrack running through my mind. There's a song Motown, I may not be the one you want, but I know I'm the one you need. And I think Mm. about that when I think (laughs) about the Democrats. No, they're not perfect, but do you want Republicans? I mean, seriously? Do you want folks who want to take away your bodily autonomy? who align themselves with white supremacists, align themselves. I mean, that vote tells you everything you need to know. Neo-Nazis. And these, you know, if you talk to them offline, oh, no, I don't believe in that, but you voted. You voted. And so people who stay home are co-signing BS. People who have these ridiculous arguments, they want it to be perfect. Well, hell, life ain't perfect. Politics ain't perfect. I always say, you know, I forget the old politician. It might have been Tip O'Neill who said, two things you don't want to see, people making sausage and people doing legislation because they both messy. And that's the case. But at the end of the mess, we have seen, like with the gun laws, we have seen progress. It's not perfect progress. But it is progress. And so, like I said, as I start thinking, talking to young people, someone who tell they can't vote because they didn't get this, they can't vote because they didn't get that, and I always say, what do you want to lose? There is a story, not what you've got, but what you can lose. I remember years ago speaking to a member of Congress about the Congressional Black Caucus, and a sister said to me, people talk about we don't do anything, you don't know what we prevented from having happen. And so this is not naivete, is an indulgence in this context, and we cannot afford it. Young people, you didn't get your student loan debt uh, reduced. You will, perhaps. And if you don't, do you want, as a young woman, to lose your bodily autonomy? Do you want to have other things cut that will be cut? I, Roland, I'm impatient with these people. Don't even mention those ADOS people to me, because they're just crazy. They just totally crazy. And I'm yeah, I'm shouting y'all out, send me some tweets, whatever y'all do, when you get mad at folks, y'all don't have good sense. Period in the conversation.
6: See, the thing here for me, on a congo, <coughs> is as we unpack what's going on here, they are making clear what their agenda is. Mm-hmm. And the agenda of the Republican Party and the House and the Senate is a violent, anti-black agenda. Yes. Yep. That's what it is. So if y'all want to come at me, bring your ass. But I'm telling you right now, as somebody who has paid attention to politics my entire life, the hell that they are ready to unleash, you are not prepared for... Then you're really gonna be like, damn, I can't believe this. And understand what they're doing on the state level. And again, my next guest will be able to explain it is that they are trying to position it where they will control what happens after 22 and put in place an apparatus in 24 to literally steal the election if they lose in 2024.
10: Absolutely. That, it, like you said, it's already in the works. The legislation's already written. They got the case coming up before the Supreme Court when that's going to be one of the next things that they're going to look at, which is going to take away the role for, from governors. And one of the things we have to be mindful of is that we're like a few Republican governors away from them being able to have a constitutional convention. Like, like, seriously. And when that type of stuff happens, everything is going to be on the table. You talked earlier about ask people about their top five things. In some way, shape or form, everyone is going to have as part of their list something relating to health, something relating to education, something related to security, something relating to the economy. And with these votes that have been taken at every juncture, the Republicans have shown that they favor big oil companies, so they have no problem with higher gas prices. They favor not supporting schools that, that aren't private schools, basically, at the end of the day. They also have hinted through Justice Clarence Thomas that, hey, it's cool to come for gay marriage. It's cool to come for... I know, I don't know Clarence Thomas is going to feel about it, but come for interracial marriage because they're attacking the right to privacy. They are going to be coming for people's religion, for people who are not Christian. They are coming for it all. There's no middle ground. And so when you talk about what are your top five things, when we look at the last election, the 72 million, we got to remember, I I was talking about 72 million who voted for Trump, and that was higher than what he got in 2016. So there are more people who are willing to get out there and support him. Biden got 82 million-plus. Over 100 million people stayed home. And to those 100 million-plus who stayed home... Those are the people who we're talking about tonight, Roland. And people have to realize that when you're not there, when they come for other people, no one's going to be there when they come for you. And every aspect of us as black people in this country is under attack. And we are foolish, not us here, because we know this, They'll do everything, put us back in bondage, do whatever it takes to make sure that we are not in power. That's why they hate Vice President Harris, and that's why they are doing... And what's sad about this, you know, the Washington Post always has that headline, democracy dies in darkness, but it's not true. Democracy dies in the light of yep. days. So many things were happening right now happened under Hitler, who also, like Trump, only had a third percent, uh, 30 percent, 30 plus percent of the vote, had a third of the vote, right? Because people were not engaged. And so we're seeing it literally happen before our eyes, and if our sophistication is not coupled with our activism to increase, we are going to lose everything we have fought for, and there's no exaggeration to that at all.
6: But Jeff, all I'm simply saying to people is mess around and see what happens. Mess around and see what happens, but I would rather be in a position to be able to go lobby somebody for my agenda, then be in the position where the door is shut solid and they won't even meet with me.
2: That's right. And that's what it comes down to. Uh, That's why we say these stakes are high. And when we hear these conversations coming out of these circles, I don't care if they're ADOS, uh, (coughs) FBA, uh, MD, PhD, OPP, or SOB. It doesn't (laughs) matter because it's all a distraction. It is the art of distraction. And if we haven't learned anything yet, if we didn't learn anything from uh, Donald J. Trump becoming the 45th president of the United States, we have learned the art of distraction, the art of carefully uh, cultivating uh, a tweet that would get people so riled up that they're talking about it for three news cycles. Meanwhile, during those news cycles, quietly appointing over 300 judges to the bench across the United States. It's all about distraction. It is look at what I'm doing here, but don't look at what I'm doing under the table. The art of distraction is sending out messages to people that deceive them, but connect with them while you are saying one thing and doing another. We have been falling victim to this art of distraction. When we're talking about moving through distraction, these shows are important because we're saying to people, do not read, do not believe what you're hearing on Twitter, pay attention to the facts. When you put that graphic up that showed you how the Republican vote uh, went, that that is a fact. When we talk about the stakes, the messaging must change. The messaging has to be simple and it has to be clear. What are the ways that you work through distraction? Well, last year, the Pentagon issued a report that uh, soldiers, military personnel, are actively being recruited by white supremacists. They see them as high-value targets because they are ready to go, they're ready to fight, they're ready and trained to launch a race war. This is something that is actively happening in the U.S. military. The messaging, instead of being really high, really flowery, really full of great vocabulary words and held over lattes and back rooms at White House meetings, needs to be simple to the voters' base. Okay. You say you don't want to vote for Democrats? Let's show you how important it is. This bill that we talked about, this amendment on the Defense Act that actually uh, allowed us to, to, to have this conversation that the Republicans did not vote on, it only voted. It only went through because we had a majority that was Democratic. So that barely made it through. You've got to tell people, if you don't support these candidates that are going to make sure this legislation legislation is solid, guess what? You're gonna have white supremacists in the military. Those white supremacists are going to come out actively trained and they're going to help launch a race war. These are things that we are seeing coming together but are not being communicated effectively to the people. You've got to understand that just as Dr. Julianne said, this has to do with your student loans. This has to do with your ability to to buy a house. It has to do with you working all the time so that people at the top of the food chain cannot work all the time. These are very tangible things that happen when it when we talk about whether to vote or not vote. These stakes are here and they're real. And we have to step up and we have to make those messages clear to people who need to understand that we are at a tipping point in America. We could go way to the right or we could survive and go forward and have hope for the future. And that's how important it is for us to stand up, to talk, to get these messages out here and to stick to the facts.
6: Got to go to break, folks. We come back, we'll talk to Valdez. Nearly 400 cops were on the scene there. And this shooter still killed 19 children and two adults. You're watching Roland Martin on the filter right here on the Black Star Network.
9: I'm Deborah Owens, America's wealth coach. And on the next Get Wealthy, have you heard that it's not how much you earn, but how much you keep that matters? Well, the secret to building wealth could be hidden in our tax code. That's right, joining me on the next Get Wealthy is someone who calls herself the gatekeeper to the IRS. And she's gonna be sharing the secrets and strategies you need to know, whether you're a business owner or an individual, how you can get wealthy. That's right here, only on Black Star Network. Sexy
11: to me is the exact same
5: feeling
11: uh as running water ever flowing water always finds a way to get through and so when you know that you're sexy uh there are no questions about it it is an ever-flowing emotion it is an ever-flowing feeling Mm -hmm. when you question it though you stop the water Mm. I, I actually I struggle with this a lot, mainly because I've been told what sexy should look like, what it should feel like. As a model who did Sports *Illustrated*, you're told that this is what sells sexy, but then you travel the world, and what's sexy to one person is not sexy to another person. Um, I'm more of a mindfuck kind of person. Uh, how can you how can you stimulate the brain? Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's sexy.
5: I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley
3: Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
6: Folks, uh, listen to these words that were in a Texas House report uh, showing how pathetic the response was in Uvalde, Texas. An overall lackadaisical approach egregiously poor decision-making. That's a preliminary report from the Texas House to what took place in Uvalde where 19 children were killed, two adults, by a lone white domestic terrorist. Representative Dustin Burroughs says this report should be read by everyone.
13: If there's only one thing that I can tell you is there were multiple systemic failures. I would invite everybody to read the entire report. You cannot cherry pick one sentence and use it to say everything without reading it all together and with context. But if we need a simple phrase to describe what the report says, again, I would tell you multiple systemic failures. I want to first thank the mayor of Uvalde for having hosting a meeting today with several of the families and asking for us to come by and attend. And I thought that was the respectful thing to do. I thought it was respectful to at least let them hear from me before we open this up to a broader public discussion. I look forward to the questions here at the press conference. Um, One of the things that I said in there to the families is we wanna show them as much respect as possible. The entire time this committee has been together, we have wanted to show them the most respect possible, and we've tried to do that. And I asked them if there was something we've ever done not respectful to let us know what it is. But I told them the most we can do to be respectful at this point is not to just blame one person or one thing. And I hope that the report, when people read all of it together, they understand that we look and take a broad approach to what happened that day. My biggest fear, and I also shared this with them at the meeting, is that we will look for simple solutions to these complex answers. And we will all look and say, well, you know, that's the way it was in Uvalde, it's different here. Well, let me tell you, the people of Uvalde before this, they felt it couldn't happen here. They felt that. That's the false sense of security I worry about. I think some of the same systems that we found here that failed that day or across the entire state and country and i do not want to say because of one thing or one person here it could not happen elsewhere i think that's a disservice and not the respectful thing to
9: do
6: joining us now is texas state house representative jasmine crockett glad to have you back on roller martin unfiltered you know it's interesting listening to him uh talk about what took place folks thought it couldn't happen there um i remember that initial news conference all oh, Governor Greg Abbott, the mayor, they were all ticked off at Beto O'Rourke for challenging them. Looks like Beto was the one who was right. These folks have been lying to us. They praised law enforcement for their rapid response. We now know that 376 officers were on the scene. And then he says that if 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 we've done anything where we haven't respected the families, let us know. Well, the families are pissed off. They didn't even issue this report in Spanish only English. And the families are like, uh, it's a whole bunch of us who don't speak English. We can't even read the report.
14: Yeah, you know, it's, uh... Let me give you an interesting fact (laughs) really quickly. Uh, Chairman Burroughs graduated from the same undergraduate school in which Supreme Court Justice um, Amy... I graduated from, and it's actually the same school that I graduated from. Um, and it is amazing the minds that have come out of that school. Um, but, you know, the fact that it is not issued in Spanish just tells you how much the Republican Party, specifically in the state of Texas, thinks of Latinos, right? everyone that was affected in this shooting was Hispanic. And that doesn't mean that they necessarily speak Spanish, but um, I definitely have heard the rumblings before in the Texas House about, well, if you're going to be here, you need to speak our language, right? But now, for whatever reason, there's a fight at the border about which way Latinos should go. And as you were speaking with your previous guests, This really shouldn't be about whether you're voting for a D or R. It should be about voting for yourself. And voting for yourself (laughs) should mean nine out of ten of y'all are voting against whoever the Republican is. Because when we look at their actions, not what they say, but what they do, it oftentimes aligns with something that is counterproductive to, say, sustaining your life or your livelihood, or being able to keep a roof over your head. And so when we talk specifically about this and not pointing to a simple solution, what the chairman doesn't want to do is admit that he was yet one of those that was leading the charge for the awful gun legislation that we passed. There were so many good pieces of gun legislation that were proposed in the wake of what happened in El Paso, because this was our first session since that El Paso shooting. But instead of coming up with some of these red flag laws that we proposed, um, instead of doing something like a waiting period, instead of, say, raising the age for someone to buy a firearm, because I do want to be clear that this gunman lawfully purchased this firearm. Now, there are those that say, you know what? Bad people are going to do what bad people want to do. That may be... True, I'm not gonna argue to the contrary on that. But what I can say that as a lawmaker, I am supposed to make it as difficult for the bad guy as possible, as difficult for those that are struggling, say with a mental break, which I think that the Republicans oftentimes are arguing a mental break just to go ahead and deflect from the fact that they are not doing their jobs. Um, We need to get tighter on guns in this country period, and the idea that if we put more guns out there, then we will be safer, I think that this report stands to prove that wrong because as trained law enforcement officers, almost 400 of them, we had inaction. So what do you think is going to happen with a civilian?
6: Again, if we really examine this, I mean, we saw the constant uh, efforts by folks not to release the video. They did not want to share information. They did all they could. I mean, so you had law enforcement and state officials working against the public. And remember, the initial report, oh, the Uvalde Police Department in the school district failed. That's 15 cops. It was 90 state law enforcement officers on the scene. Greg Abbott has to answer to this, too.
14: Oh, absolutely. But they're not going to. You say he has to, right? The idea is to just ignore this. The fact that I want to say this report was released on Sunday? Like, (laughs) I mean, come on now. Now, Roland, you know about the news cycle, right? So, you know, everything about this is, let me sweep it under the rug, but let me pretend as if I have done something, right? It's like, I want to say I'm doing something, but once again, when we look at those actions, it's the, the inactions that we should be looking at um, under these circumstances, because if the governor really cared to do something, then he would have called us back into session. We know that he didn't have a problem with calling us back for voter suppression. But when we're talking about the death of these folk in Uvalde, he doesn't want to call us in. Now, y'all have issued this long report, but what are we going to do with the report? The report ain't nothing but paperwork. That's all it is. We can't get any new laws unless we're in session. How do we get into session unless we're in a regular session? Well, the governor has to call it. When he calls it, he has to set out what that agenda is going to be. And the first thing that we would need to do is we would need to roll back the law that they just passed, which they don't want to do. We would need to raise the age on purchasing a firearm, which they don't want to do. We would need to do something as it relates to assault weapons. They don't want to do anything on that. So guess what? What they are counting on is people forgetting come November 8th. What they are counting on, people forgetting when they get into session and not showing up in Austin, they are counting on the fact that we always forget. And then they are also counting on the fact that they like to play on people's emotions. Y'all were just talking about it. You know, we just had the state convention for the Democrats here in Dallas this weekend. And sadly enough, I issued a um, speech on the main stage. And most people have been very positive. And I did receive a message saying, your message wasn't really you. No, my message really was me. The difference is, yes, everybody knows that I will call out Democrats. I will call out right and wrong. It's not really about party for me. But at this juncture, the team is set The the board is made, and there is only one choice. So yes, I have a very unifying message in this general, and that is the only message that you will find out of me is one that says, hey, this this is life or death, specifically in Texas. Right now, we just got a warning about our water um, and not using consuming so much water because we're having water issues. We're consistently getting messages from ERCOT about our energy. We know we lost hundreds of people Um, in that winter storm. We are in a crisis in this state and in this country. And so guess what? I may not think that one side is perfect, but I know one side may literally kill me. So guess what? I'm going to fight for the other side. Now, when we get to those primaries, I'm obviously going to try to make sure that we have the best of the best. And that means it's going to be those people that are going to speak up and speak out, especially when it comes to Black folk and make sure that we are not forgotten but I know that one side is targeting us consistently. You talk about the things that they've done on the federal level, but that is when I realized that something was amiss in the Texas House when we could not get an amendment on that terrible gun bill that they passed that specifically said that white supremacists could not have firearms. Now, we had already said that gun members could... I'm sorry, gang members couldn't have firearms, but when we tried to add white supremacists and white extremists, That failed down party lines. What is that telling you about that party? And what was even more hurtful is we had at least one black Republican who voted for that. Mm
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to play something for you. This is California Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, Speaking in a way that I think, frankly, all Democrats should be operating when you talk about what they are facing. Check it out specifically to support him so that if he does run again he wins So i have a couple
1: a couple observations i was i was with another elected official with you at the summit of americas in los angeles a few weeks ago as lower poll rating uh then 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 biden uh, justin trudeau you, you look at macron right i mean leading stuff in this environment after two years uh, of the coronavirus, supply chain issues, international inflation, not just unique to the United States. It's tough, it's a difficult time. People are angry, frustrated. So being in positions of power influence, by definition, are challenging. And in some ways, you know, your 40 or 50% approval, that's remarkable under this circumstance. All of that is situational. At the same time, and this is an answer to your question, you have to also recognize that what you're up against. And right now, we're up against the ruthlessness of a Republican party, and I say that not naively, I don't say that even I'm not that's not a cheap shot. You see what's happening to all the progress we've made in the 21st century. All of the rights that we in many ways have taken for granted that have been afforded since the 60s are being rolled back in real time. This is a totally different moment and we have to wake up with a different mindset and not just old oh, mindset in terms of just a collaborative mindset, a cup of tea and everyone's gonna work together to get along, big ways uh, to, to advance the collective cause. And that's where the party needs to come in. Democrats need the Democratic Party, not the president, not a speaker, not an elected officeholder. The party, the infrastructure, I think has to organize with more ferocity of focus, more determination to set the agenda, set the course and put the other party on the defense. They are dominating the narrative. The facts aren't on their side, but they're dominating there. And in this world right now, you dominate the narrative, you win. And that's what I'm worried about, and that's what I'm expressing. So what is the narrative that Democrats should be saying, and how should they be going about that? Well, forgive me. I mean, it's, I think it's nice to know as a taxpayer that the state of California did the opposite of what Alabama. I think they opened a big prison with their stimulus money, and we're opening college savings accounts for three and a half million people. I think maybe a positive alternative agenda is expressing that as a value proposition. And I bet 99% of people listening right now, if anyone is listening, didn't know that.
6: Sounds logical to me, Jasmine.
14: No, absolutely. Um, I have been quite frustrated. (laughs) Like I said, I mean, somebody was even surprised by my messaging. you know, but listen, it's already been stated it's not perfect. Um, but what I can't do is I can't sit around and complain. I've just got to do the work. You know, one of the things that I talked about is here in Dallas County, we're a safe blue county, right? So what happens is we spend tons of money. In fact, over $3 million was spent just behind me in my primary. <laughs> over three million million, one one candidate um and that's not even getting into how much money was poured in because I did have nine opponents to try to get the congressional nomination. And so there are those that are saying Jasmine you've got to make sure you build up your coffers because of course people will try to run against you again. Well guess what? I can't worry about that. I got to go ahead and govern and make sure that I do a great job of governing and hope and pray that I can go out and get the money when I need it, but the reality is that People like Beto O'Rourke need me to help him. I need to make sure that I spend money in the general and not just save all my money for the primary. Because if I can motivate more people to get out in the primary, they may not necessarily know Beto, but the chances are they may know me because I am here in Dallas. And they may be going just to vote for me because, sadly enough, most people don't realize that I have four opponents when it comes to my general election. So I'm gonna spend money. I'm gonna do my part to pull people out. And I am hoping and praying that it helps people like Beto or work, because I will still only be one of 465 in Congress, right, in the House but then I still have to deal with the fact that I've got a terrible governor in the state of Texas. It may be helpful if I have a good governor. It may be helpful if I have good state representatives. It may be helpful if I go ahead and do my part down in the valley for, say, a Michelle Vallejo, who is in a tight but winnable seat, a seat that's technically drawn for a Democrat, but it is very tightly drawn because we need to maintain control over the U.S. House. So guess what? I don't get to relax. I've got to go help out those other folk that are going to help me fight for everybody. And I agree that once we're in office, that's when you come, you hold us accountable. You talk about the fact that different folk are being left out as we're giving our messaging, as we're doing our agenda. But guess what? We all will get left out. And when I say all, I mean all. You talked about trans folk. Let's go ahead and talk about the LGBTQIA community as a whole. Let's talk about the rights of Black folks that will be rolled back. We always speak about the fact that we still aren't technically free in this country and we still aren't treated equally. Just imagine what's going to happen if they would take precedence that is older than I am and decide that it is not worth anything and it was done when it was created. Just imagine what they will do as it relates to everything else. If you don't understand that all of our fates are tied together, then you haven't been paying attention. And so, what the Democrats need to do is stop, you know, speaking to the choir. That's not what we need to do. What we need to do is we need to go engage new people. Because what did Trump do? He was able to engage all of these great racists. That's what he did. He went out, he got them excited. They are all involved in the party. They are all now running for office. We got plenty of them on the federal level. We got them on our school boards. The Democrats have to stop just speaking to... That ain't getting us nowhere. We got to go and and actually grow our coalition.
6: All right. Texas State Representative Jasmine Crockett, we sure appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Good to see you. All right, folks, got to go to break. We come back more on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Don't forget to support us in what we do. Folks, you want to download the Black Star Network app? Do so. All platforms, Apple phone, Android phone. Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, uh, you can support us with your dollars. Uh, Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support this show, allows us to be able to do what we do, travel across this country. We'll be in Birmingham on Wednesday and Thursday. Broadcasting from the SWAC Media Day. Uh, of course, uh, checks and money orders can go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM unfiltered. PayPal is R-Martin unfiltered. Venmo is RM unfiltered. Zell is Roland at RolandSMartin.com. Coming up next, we'll talk COVID-19 with Dr. Peter Hotez. Folks, COVID ain't no joke, y'all. This new variant, hospitalizations, or way up across the country, don't play games with it. We'll break it down next. You're watching the Black Star
8: I am Dr. Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie.
4: We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network.
6: What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packard. Everybody, it's your man for Ed Hammond.
8: Hi, my name is Brescia Webb, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. (laughs) Ow! Well, I like a nice filter usually, but we can be unfiltered.
6: Folks, um, seriously, we've been dealing with COVID-19 for two years. Now we got to deal with this damn thing called monkeypox. Are you serious? Um, look, I know folks have been uh, walking around, no masks, things opening up, but the reality is we are seeing with this new uh, COVID strain, how, how it is, um, of course, hospitalizations are going up all across the country. We're not seeing, though, the same intensity uh, when it comes to testing, when it comes to protection. Dr. Peter Hotez, he's, of course, Texas Children's Hospital, uh, virologist, uh, of course, you you heard him. He's been on the show before. Uh, Doc, glad to have you back on the show. My goodness, uh, it's a whole lot that's happening.
7: Yeah, that's right, Roland. A whole lot that's happening and a whole lot of it is going unrecorded and unseen, both for COVID-19 uh, and for Monkeypox. Let's see if I can break it down. I mean, for, for COVID-19, you know, so everybody's doing home testing, home antigen testing, which is actually a good thing, because people are knowing when they're infected and know when they're at risk of transmitting the virus to their family members or their friends. The problem is, those numbers are not getting reported <coughs> to the state health departments and to the, um, to the federal government, so they go unrecorded. So, when you look at the graphs, what you see is a bump when, in fact, probably the number of new cases is as high as anything we have seen in the past, probably as high as the Omicron wave, you know, more than maybe a million new cases a day. So for every one case that's getting recorded, there's probably seven to 10 that are going unrecorded. So the official numbers are 135,000 new cases a day in the country. It's probably closer to a million or more. The one thing we do know is the hospitalizations, as you correctly pointed out, are going up around 20 percent over the last two weeks. And we're going back over 400 deaths a day. Okay, it's not the 2000 deaths that we've seen earlier, but 400 deaths a day still means COVID-19 is the leading cause of death in the United States of America. So we've got to really take this seriously.
6: Uh, And look, I mean, you talk about taking it seriously. I was at Essence Festival in uh, New Orleans. A lot of folks came back from that uh, with COVID. Thankfully, I didn't. A couple of my staffers did. I was in L.A. um, the following weekend uh, for Richard Roundtree's 80th. And I came back and it was last week I was recording my audio book and man, all of a sudden I, my, my, allergies sort of kicked up Wednesday and Thursday. And then I felt it. So I took a COVID test on Thursday, negative, took a COVID test on Sunday, negative. But what's so crazy is, it's like e- even normally if we're getting a cold or we're sitting here getting, uh, allergies, you begin to freak out like Jesus, am I getting COVID for the third time? Uh, and so, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just one of those things. And look, I mean, I keep. Literally, I got like eight home, home COVID uh, uh, home tests there uh, because you, you got to stay, frankly, prepared uh, when all when, um, of things happen with your body. You're like, okay, is this allergies? Is it a cold? Is it the flu? Or is it COVID?
7: Yeah, I mean, here, here's the single most impactful thing I think you can do. And, and I appreciate your inviting me to come on because there is an important message here. What we know is that the vaccines are not holding up as well as we'd like in terms of both preventing against infections and preventing even against hospitalizations and emergency visits, unless you keep up with your boosts. So that is the most important take home message. You know, the unfortunately for reasons I've never understood, the Centers for Disease Control still calls to immunizations with the mRNA vaccines, full immunizations. And once you're more than a few weeks out of your second immunization, you're still vulnerable. So what that means so is,
6: so like, like what's the you... distance? Really, look, look, so so I've had three. So how how what was the what should be the distance between or months or weeks whatever from when I got my third one to get my fourth? But mine was delayed because when I got COVID the first time, I got the antibodies and I couldn't get my booster until ninety days so, had
7: passed. So when did you get your third immunization? Hell, I don't know. Let me look it up i don't know doc just roughly was it no, i don't know sub- last, last september i got no
6: no december. no 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 this was, it was much more recent i got um because i got COVID in december i got my third booster in april i think uh first of all uh luckily i got so you're, my
7: you're, so you're getting close because
6: yeah i'm looking up i got it right here keep going keep talking i'll pull it up
7: once you're more than four months out get your booster. Um, and, and here's why. Um, so here it is, seeing... I got my
6: third dose uh, May 13th.
7: Okay, so you, you can kind of hold off a little bit, but not too much longer. Like what's a little bit, a month? Four, well, uh, so I would say, you know, four, three, four months after your last boost. So um, if you got boosted in May, remember you also got a case of COVID, which almost acts like a single immunization.
6: Well, I got the co- I got so, COVID twice. I got COVID in it, December, then I got uh-huh. it again in May.
3: Right. I got it in May
6: before I got my third booster.
7: Oh, you got the, well, you got COVID in May and a booster in May. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're you're probably good until um, August or September. Cool. Um, but 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 most but in you know, but only the two of us. You know, if you look at the American people, it's just about only the two of us that are keeping track of this stuff. That's the problem. Um, And so, too many Americans are thinking if they got two immunizations, that's adequate. And now we had some data come out from the Centers for Disease Control last week that says if you, for instance, even if you got a single boost and you're more than uh, four or five months out, what that means is your protection against hospitalization went down from seventy-five percent to fifty-five percent. That's why you got to get that second booster. And here's here are the numbers: roughly only about thirty percent of the U.S. population has gotten their single booster, meaning their third immunization, like you got. And I got my second immunization, but very few Americans have done that. So it's really important to be mindful of the fact that if you've only gotten two immunizations, get your booster. And if you've gotten your booster and you're more than four months out of that booster, get your second booster, and that is what's going to keep you out of the hospital more than anything else.
6: And and, and again, I, I, I'm I'm just trying to warn our folks. Look, man, you can't play with this thing. You don't know how how this thing move how it moves, how it shifts. You don't know. Uh, again, once you, you've gotten COVID, what happens? You know, down the road, things along those lines. And so it, it's it's staying uh, vigilant as best as we can we got a panelist uh, we
7: got some yeah, questions go ahead yeah yeah i mean the problem is everybody knows someone who's been vaccinated and got breakthrough infection yeah right and so and so there there's these groups that are telling people hey see that means that the vaccine's not working it's not the case and what it means is if you've been vaccinated and boosted you could still get breakthrough covid with these new omicron subvariants but you know what? It means that you're going to be doing Zoom calls from home or, or calling friends from home uh, rather than being in the hospital. And that's the game changer is that if you keep up your boosters, um, uh, it, there's a, you're far more likely to be um, hospital, less likely to be hospitalized or go to the ICU or worse or go to the emergency room.
6: Let's go to uh, Macongo. Your question, Dr. Hotez first.
10: Yes. uh, Thank you, Dr. Hotez, for your continued expertise and leadership uh, in this area. I have been following you for a very long time, and it's greatly appreciated. My question comes to you as a parent. I have a rising junior, freshman, and second grader. And I want to know what your thoughts are as we're going into the fall. What do you think schools should do to be more proactive? Do you see a potential scenario where we're going to be going virtual again (laughs) going into the fall, which is extremely stressful? What what are your thoughts as it relates to schools and this variance of COVID going forward?
7: I I think you know the school boards and and the teachers and under a lot of pressure to keep the schools open. So I think you're not going to unless things get really extreme. Um, I don't think you're going to see school in uh, in person closures and going back to virtual. Um, it's not impossible, but uh, I don't see that. I think it's less likely. I think the the more impactful thing to do right now, and I know I sound like a broken record, now that we have um, vaccines approved for the kids, you should focus on that. So, for, But again, American <coughs> people aren't accepting it. So for instance, only about 30% of parents have vaccinated their five to 11 year olds, only 30%. And that varies a lot geographically. So if you look at the Northeast, there's a little better compliance, maybe fifty, sixty percent of parents are vaccinating. <laughs> but you know, you you know mm. down here in the south and and Roland, you know Roland and I are both uh-huh. now, you know, we're both uh, Houstonians, um, the acceptance is really low. So in Louisiana, for instance, Mississippi, only eleven percent of parents have vaccinated their five to eleven year olds. So really low. And then now the vaccines have been approved for the under five year olds and it's really it's and kind of the cdc sent out an sos two weeks ago to said you know what of the cohort of 18 million kids under the age of five only about 300,000 have gotten vaccinated so single digit percentages so we have a lot of work and advocacy to do to convince parents to vaccinate their kids
6: uh let's see here as i uh get fight this cough from the allergies uh let's see julian
9: Uh, Doctor, again, thank you so much for your work and for the enlightenment that you're sharing with us. Here's Mm -hmm. my situation. I've been vaxxed twice and boosted, but only boosted once. Everyone I know who's gotten the second booster has been sick for one to two days. I've got a cray-cray schedule, and so I'm trying to figure out when can I afford to be sick uh, as a reaction to the booster, is that real? Uh, why is everyone getting sick after they get their second booster? Some folks for just half a day, but some for as many as, as two days. Can you explain that to me? That and
6: boost on Friday, should I get Friday? a second booster? Get that boost on Friday and go to work on Monday. I'm sorry, Doc. Go ahead.
7: <laughs> well, you know, you're partly right, Roland. I mean, I mean, it varies. I mean, for instance, I got my second booster, and and I, you know, I compared to my 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 worst. Immunization was my second one, uh, but my boosters were fine. I had very few symptoms at all. Um, it may you know, be, when you get your booster, uh, make certain that you're getting the booster-sized dose. So the Moderna booster dose is 50 micrograms of mRNA, not 100 micrograms. So possibly the pharmacist gave you the full 100 micrograms. That's a possibility, although you could could have gotten it after 50 micrograms. The Pfizer vaccine seems to be a little less reactogenic and so maybe that's one consideration as well meaning you may not have as, as robust a reaction um, but the the thing is you know those numbers I just said are, look real so again if you once you're more than a few months out of your first booster the protection against hospitalization goes down from 75 percent to 55 percent um, which is a big difference um, so um, and that's the numbers that came out of the CDC last week. So, when did you get your first booster?
9: In December.
7: Uh, you're 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 ready for that second booster. I, I would, you know, unless your doctor gives you some other reason why you shouldn't get it, um, it's something definitely to consider.
6: And it does vary. I, I didn't get sick uh, from any of the boosters.
7: Yeah, everyone has a different experience. The Moderna vaccine has more mRNA in it um, than the Pfizer does. So the Moderna has 100 micrograms of mRNA in the initial immuniz- immunizing series, 50 in the booster. Moderna has 30 micrograms, so less. So if, you get, if you're if you getting Moderna, it tends to be a little more, what I, as the term that's used is reactogenic, meaning more fever and inflammation. Um, but it also holds up a little better as well uh, because there is more mRNA. Jeff.
2: Uh, Yes, Dr. Hotez, thank you so much. Uh, I am part of the stepchildren nation of vaccines. Um, I got the one-shot J&J, and we got that in our family. Uh, We went over a year, uh, had absolutely no problems, had no issues. I got sick. I, I felt sick about 30 minutes after I got the shot, and then it went away. Did not have a problem, was able to avoid COVID until, of course, Uh, School came back in and one child got it and it went through the household. I was down for about a a day, uh, maybe less than that, and then came right back. But those of us who got that one-shot J&J, we've been wondering, because that conversation isn't uh, in the mainstream as much, what do we do next uh, to protect ourselves and what's what's recommended?
7: So that's a brilliant question, and and you're not alone. Um, So many people who got the J and J vaccine are feeling buyer's remorse because they're not getting instructions on, on what to do. Um, and here's the reason for it. Um, unfortunately, our Centers for Disease Control is not, you know, historically has not been collecting information about vaccine effectiveness um, uh, after, after it was released for emergency use as we'd like. So we've been depending on Israel and the UK for a lot of our vaccine effectiveness data. They don't have the J and J vaccine. They don't have Moderna either, but they have Pfizer, which is another mRNA. So people kind of extrapolate from Pfizer to Moderna, but they don't have the J&J. So people are we're not getting uh, as timely information about it. Um, The truth is the J&J vaccine is a very good vaccine. And in some ways, it may give you more durable protection than uh, than uh, the mRNA vaccines. Uh, But now it's very hard to get. So you're you're in good shape in the sense that you got one dose of J&J, you you had breakthrough covid i would still get a booster with either moderna or pfizer um, and i and likely that's going to give you a much better virus neutralizing antibody and help you weather this uh, this ba5 uh, subvariant so long remember this ba5 subvariant is the most transmissible thing we've mm. seen to date and this is what's been happening each new <laughs> variant or subvariant's more transmissible than one than the one before so BA5 is more transmissible than the original Omicron, the BA1, that was more transmissible than Delta, that was more transmissible than Alpha, and so on and so forth. So this is, a you know, is so transmissible that, you know, even if you're, you know, in, in a restaurant, indoor settings, if people are now, especially when people are, most people are not wearing masks anymore, at least in this part of the country. Um, we're having a lot of trouble uh, convincing people that va 5 is a serious actor. And if you're not vaccinated, we're still seeing a pretty big rate of hospitalization, even loss of life.
6: All right, Doc, so, okay, real quick, this monkeypox thing, uh, um, Alex, the controller, want to know, do mass mass protect from monkeypox? Okay, we're seeing that, oh, my goodness, cases increasing. What the hell is monkeypox? Who's getting it? And how do we protect ourselves from getting it?
7: So monkeypox. First of all, it's it's a crummy name because it was first discovered in uh, non-human primates in captivities, But monkeys are probably not big actors in this. It's it it circulates in the rodent population, rodent populations in central and west Africa, gets transmitted uh, to to people, and and has caused co- been causing more infections in Africa. Uh, in part because um, previously people were getting vaccinated against smallpox, but they haven't been getting it since the 70s, so it's created a vulnerability. Now we have had our largest monkeypox uh, outbreak ever uh, in Europe and North America, um, particularly um, in social networks um, uh, linked to the gay and bisexual male community. Um, not that it's sexually transmitted, it's happening through close skin-to-skin or, or oral-to-skin uh, contact and now we're, we are, we're about um, getting around 15,000 cases globally and we're upwards of 2,000 cases uh, in the United States with the largest number of cases around 500 in, in New York. So it's through close intimate contact, um, skin to ki- skin to skin, skin to oral. Um, and the numbers are really going up and and there's good news and bad news here. The good news, is we've got an excellent vaccine for it. Uh, It's made made by a a company in Europe called Bavarian Nordic. It's a pretty safe vaccine. The problem is we don't have enough doses yet. So uh, the Biden administration is hoping for around 700,000 doses towards the end of this month into August and then around 1.6 million doses uh, by the end of the year we're probably going to need two or three times more than that. So um, we're getting into the situation where we just don't have enough vaccine. So if you're a high risk group uh, and that is, you know, having um, close intimate relations with partners um, who have monkeypox, um, it's a good idea to get vaccinated either after you've had that contact, but what's called post exposure prophylaxis or as a form of PrEP pre-exposure prophylaxis. And the key now to fight this off is to really ramp up uh, both the testing and the number of uh, vaccine doses, because uh, I'm worried that it's going to continue spreading in the, in the population. And, the, and there's two things we don't want to happen. One, we don't want it to, the transmission of this become so pervasive that kids start getting it because kids don't handle monkeypox nearly as well as adults. That's point one. Point two, we don't want to get it into local animal populations because then it becomes a permanent fixture in the United States, just like it is in, in Nigerian Democratic Republic of Congo. So it's we've got to treat it as a as a crisis because if we don't allow those numbers of cases to get up, 10,000 10, cases, 100,000 cases, then we really have a problem on our hands. And so the key is um, education and awareness um, about your partners and, and limiting, limiting exposure. Second, getting the vaccine and three, diagnostic testing. And the diagnostic testing is not as straightforward because as it is with COVID-19. One, we don't have home testing yet. Um, it requires swabbing a lesion. Um, And since that's often an intimate uh, part of the body, that's not the kind of thing you usually walk into CVS or local pharmacy to to get testing. So you usually have to go to uh, community health clinics that that specialize uh, uh, in this. And so the access is not as great. So we still have a lot of work to do to get to where we want to be.
6: All right, Doc. Well, please keep up the good work and say hello to all my folks there in Houston and folks, you do great work at the Texas Children's Hospital. And also, y'all shared, y'all, uh, what, did, what was it? Y'all, your vaccine information with people across the globe. How did that turn out?
7: Yeah, it's, so far, our vaccine, now in India, it's called Corbivax. 65 million doses have gone into um, adolescence. So it's the major vaccine used in India for adolescents. And we developed it here at our Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development and Baylor College of Medicine, which I know, Roland, you know pretty well. And what I want you to do is um, once we get out of this BA five way, when you come down to Houston again, I want to give you a tour of the labs and have you meet our scientists. They'd be sounds
6: sounds great. I'd <clears throat> love to do so. And that also shows you the difference between folks who are trying to save lives. Uh, because I saw something the other day where Moderna gave a golden parachute of 926 million uh, to their CEO after getting almost 3 billion from the federal government. Uh, and so uh, it's a boy, which is just beyond idiotic. R- Roland,
7: we we got we got four hundred thousand dollars from the federal government. <laughs> That's yeah. and 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 we made a vaccine for the world. So
6: four hundred thousand made a vaccine for the world. Just imagine what y'all could have done with two point five
7: billion. I know, and I think we would have, you know, could have potentially had the whole world vaccinated by now. But
6: there you who go. knows? All right, Doc, keep up the good work. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
7: Okay, you're the best. God bless.
6: All right, take care, folks. When we come back, what the hell is happening with Sesame Street? Man, the video's gone viral about one of their characters just dissing two young black girls. Sesame Street has responded. Black people like, uh, that's that bullshit. Uh, we'll discuss next on Roland Martin Unfiltered, right here on the Black Star Network. Yo, Facebook, YouTube, hit the damn like button, y'all. It ain't, it ain't that hard. When we come up for this break, we should have a 1,000 likes on YouTube. We should have the same thing on Facebook. It does not take that much So you hit the doggone button. If you're sitting there watching right now and commenting, then you can hit the damn like button. I'll be right back.
11: Sexy to me is the exact same feeling uh, as running water, ever flowing. Water always finds a way to get through. And so when you know that you're sexy, uh, there are no questions about it. It is an ever-flowing emotion. It is an ever-flowing feeling. Mm-hmm. When you question it, though, you stop the water. Mm. I, I actually I struggle with this a lot, mainly because I've been told what sexy should look like, what it should feel like. As a model who did Sports Illustrated, you're told that this is what sells sexy, but then you travel the world, and what's sexy to one person is not sexy to another person. Um, I'm more of a mindfuck kind of person. Uh, how can you how can you stimulate the brain? Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's. Sexy.
2: Going on. This is Tobias Travillion.
9: Hey, I'm Amber Stevens
4: West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered.
6: All right, folks. Uh, we go to uh, Detroit, which today is Black and Missy, and the Detroit Police Department asking for help in locating 23 year old Laurel Diaz, who left her home to go to the grocery store Sunday and has not returned. She is five feet six inches tall, weighs around 300 pounds, with dark brown hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a black short sleeved shirt, beige or brown pants, and multicolored Jordan shoes. Laurel was driving a dark blue Dodge Caravan with damage on the passenger side. According to her mother, Lorel has bipolar disorder. Anyone with information about Laurel Diaz should call the Detroit Police Department's 10th Precinct at 313-596-1001. 313-596-1001. All right, many of y'all have seen this video. It's been going viral over the last 24 hours. Two young black girls were at a party and this Sesame Street character just straight up just ignores these two black girls. Uh, now, go ahead and just roll the video, y'all. Just roll the video. Um, <clears throat> now, this is at the Sesame Street themed amusement park uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, again, the, vi- the, vi- the video uh, went viral and it shows these two young girls going up to the performer in a Rosita costume and the perform- performer appears to wave no to the girls and continues to walk on. Now. Again, it is blown up. Black people have been upset, livid. So Sesame Street released this statement here. Okay, our brand, our park, and our employees stand for inclusivity and equality in all forms. That is what Sesame Place is all about, and we do not tolerate any behaviors in our parks that are contrary to that commitment. We also are and have always been committed to making sure every family and every child has the best possible experience at our parks and we are incredibly disappointed when that does not happen. Regarding the incident yesterday, the costumes our performers wear sometimes make it difficult to see at lower levels and sometimes our performers miss hug requests from guests. Okay, so let me do this here, I'm gonna. (laughs) I'm gonna walk over to the other side of the studio, so y'all just go, y'all can just go ahead and follow me. So I'm, I, I, I'm confused here, Omicongo, uh, Julian, as well as Jeff, because, okay, if I am, um, if I'm in costume and I'm walking, if I'm in costume. Put me on camera one. If I'm in costume and I'm walking, all right and I'm dealing with little kids, I'm probably going to be looking down.
9: Mm Mm-hmm.
6: So if I'm, so I'm not looking for a 10 or 14 year old, I'm largely gonna be looking down at little kids. So if I'm walking, this is like what I'm doing the whole time. I'm waving down here at little kids. Or I'm waving at short people like my niece, you know, who are like (laughs) 4'11". I'm waving at short people, okay? All right. (laughs) So now, I want y'all to show the video. Watch the homeboy drops his head. Watch this. He's looking at her. He... How? how, I don't understand how, how... Yes, you got this big child in front of you. How do you not see... How do you just this seriously? I, I'm sorry, I, I, Julian. I'm not buying that.
9: Mm-hmm. Nobody should buy it. This is BS uh, warmed over. I heartbreak <laughs> for the poor little girls. You saw the disappointment on their faces. But this, whoever that is, should not be working at Sesame Street. Sesame Street does have a long history of inclusion, of diversity, of all of that. But they have hired some fools. And that was one of them. Um, But again, anti-blackness is so seeped into our nation's culture that it shows up in all kind of crazy places. Like with a cartoon character. With a cartoon character. So here's the problem, Roland. Sesame Street should not have issued that statement before they did some form of investigation. That is not to say, well, they're so tall, they can't look down. The fact is that grown people, six foot tall people, are not going to the theme park to see uh, Sesame Street characters. They're little children. They're four feet tall. Don't be messing with your little niece, by the way. The child can't help with that. She ain't grown. Um, but in any case... <laughs> you, you got
6: the little part right. <laughs> you got the little part right.
9: <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, it's just ridiculous, and it's racist, and these girls have been scarred. And they shouldn't have been scarred. And that fool, whoever it is behind there, male, female, dog, or cat, needs to be fired. Simply needs to be fired. And Sesame needs to come up with a better statement than that uh, ducking and dodging statement they put out there.
10: Uh, Omokongo. Yeah, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, this bigger fish to fry and all this is not that serious. But it's it's, it's the the two words Dr. Malvo said, the anti-blackness. And it resonates, as she said, at every level of our being in this society. And what i started to see on Twitter is other families posting videos of being snubbed by Rosita and a couple of Elmo snubs. And, you know, we represent hard the Elmo snubs at the kids, ber- the Elmo at the kids birthday parties. I mean, folks go hard. Right. So I don't know if these were different people dressed as Rosita. But what I'm saying is they are going I've seen at least four or five videos today of different experience. There's one. Right. And, and with this with this little boy here. And at the end of the day, Sesame, you got a problem when you see this with this particular individual or whoever these individuals are. When we go to these places, again, these guys are not trying... There you go. Look at that. You know, they're not trying to see me. And these snubs hurt, man. And we're seeing these kids get snubbed in all areas of society. And Sesame is supposed to be the one place where we're supposed Mm -hmm. to go and be able to let it all out and have fun and do that for the kids. And so... Yes, I definitely agree that Sesame Place and Sesame Street is all about inclusivity, but they definitely have some work to do as it relates to this, and that's why they reached out to the family to bring...
0: Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and Every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: From BBC Radio 4,
0: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
2: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment...
10: them back. But look, they got more video around Sesame Street and Sesame Place than like the FBI got in D.C. They can scroll through the videos and see if there are patterns with their performers and get rid of folks who don't represent what they say they want to represent. And that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. They can do these little meetings here and there but who knows?
6: Well, I think they kind of know they have a problem. Uh Uh, Because seven minutes ago, Uh this was posted uh go to my ipad but this was posted literally y'all seven minutes ago on instagram uh we sincerely apologize to the family for their experience in our park on saturday we know that it's not okay we are taking actions to do better we are committed to making this right we will conduct training for our employees so they better understand recognize and deliver an inclusive equitable and entertaining experience to our guests. For over 40 years, Sesame Place has worked to uphold the values of respect, inclusion, and belonging. We're committed to doing a better job, making children and families feel special, seen and included when they come to our parks. Uh, I think that's sort of an admission, Jeff, that first apology didn't do a damn thing.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow! Or, or to, in Sesame Street lore, we could say one of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. Uh, and when we talk about what these things are, it's discrimination on one level, it's not paying attention onto the other. It makes immediately what comes on in my mind is the brother who plays Elmo, uh, who when he is completely confused says, I don't understand Chloe, I don't understand. You don't understand because it doesn't make sense. Uh, this performer, this actor, this this employee, whether he's working a gig, whether he's a professional, uh, he violated the cardinal rule of not only African-American history, but in general, civilization. Never leave a brother or a sister hanging. Uh, he left <laughs> these two babies hanging, man. Uh, when I showed the video to my wife, my wife was watching, she was like, what is this? What is this? And I said, nothing, just watch. Because I wanted an objective opinion from a mom. She said, oh... Oh, it's a parade. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ooh. That's exactly <laughs> what she said. I want to give us some context historically. Uh, several years ago, I produced a play called Before the People Came, and it went it, about 50,000, 60,000 kids have seen it across the country. It played at the Smithsonian, African folktale, fully costumed. Uh, puppets, interactive puppets, giant masks that uh, you can't see through. For those who are uninitiated in the theater, when you see this character walking down the street, when you notice where the eyes on the costume uh, are, those are not the eyes. You are looking through the mouth and through panels that are cut so that you can specifically see people. And when you're doing children's characters, those spaces are placed so that you can see people directly below you. Anything that you do that you interact with children, I instructed my actors in the production, I don't care if there were 500 people standing in the line, you do two things. Number one, you're going to greet every child that comes to see you because they have been affected by this magic that you created for them in their field of dreams. Secondly, if you see a child that is small, you kneel down on one knee and say hello. I understand the need to have proximity, but when uh, Dr. Omicombo, uh he actually alluded to this. If you walk in, you have children who have experienced trauma. They have seen accidents with their parents. They have seen uh, parents get shot or harmed. There are children who are afraid of clowns simply because this seven-foot beast came around a corner at a birthday pro- uh, party and scared them lifeless. The trauma, mm-hmm. although we look at it from a societal space and say, well, one is more valuable than the other, no. Uh, neurologically, it registers as the same with the child. So these children were absolutely traumatized by being overlooked. And if you look at a parade route, you notice that other children are getting noticed. You notice that other children are given high fives. You notice that a baby in a stroller is nodded to, And your heart is there waiting in anticipation just to be seen. But we have an Ellisonian moment where we have these children experiencing what it feels to be invisible simply because people will not see me. There is no room, there is no space for this kind of behavior with people who are going to be working with children. So to, to Sesame Street's credit, they have realized that they stepped in something that was a little bit bigger than they thought. But this performer, this actor, this gig person, I don't care who he or she may be under that mask, uh, they're going to learn a lesson. And Sesame Street is going to learn a lesson too because this is one of the things that just doesn't belong. Showed you the first half of the Sesame Street statement. There
6: actually was a second part that we should have showed you. This is what it said. The performer portraying the Rosita character has confirmed that the no-hand gestures seen several times in the video was not directed to any specific person. Rather, it was a response to multiple requests from someone in the crowd who asked Rosita to hold their child for a photo which is not permitted. The Rosita performer did not intentionally ignore the girls and is devastated about the misunderstanding. We spoke to the family and extended our apologies and invited them back for a special meet and greet opportunity with our characters. We apologize to these guests for not for not delivering the experience uh, that they uh, that they expected, and we commit to do our best to earn uh, their and all guests' visit uh, and support. Now, again, that statement was released 23 hours ago. I read for you the statement that was released seven minutes ago because that first statement on their Instagram page alone got 33,000 comments uh, from people like singer Kelly Rowland, uh, Ben Crump. I mean, I'm talking about uh, the number of people who like, if you, who, who were commenting uh, on that. Uh, it just went on and on. And again, that nine-second video has been shared by a lot of people. And trust me, uh, Sesame, this place, they in Philadelphia. It's a lot <laughs> yeah. of black people in philadelphia so sesame place uh is truly on cleanup duty uh as okay. we speak and so uh we'll see exactly uh, you know what happens next uh we uh we're trying to reach out to the moms of those two young girls uh to get them on the show hopefully uh, we will be able to do so but um yeah uh they've mm-hmm. uh the, the sesame yeah y'all got some issues i'm just saying i'm just saying all right y'all, let's go to a break we'll be right back Rolling Martin unfiltered on the Blackstar Network.
4: We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network.
14: Hi, I'm Kim Burrell. Hi, I'm
4: Carl Payne. Hey,
11: everybody, this is Sherry Shepard. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs>
6: All right, y'all, uh, a black opera singer uh, has said hell to the gnaw, uh to uh, an Italian opera after she discovered that they had performers in blackface on that stage previously this summer. Grammy-winning soprano Angel Blue posted on her Instagram page that she is pulling out of the Verona Arenas production of La Traviata after she discovered... The theater used blackface in the production of Aida. The theater says Blue knew about the other show and invited her for a, quote, dialogue on the issue. Blue was like, nah, this is what she posted. Let me be perfectly clear. Uh, The use of blackface, do y'all have her statement? Thank you. Come on, let's show it now. Thank you. Let me be perfectly clear. The use of blackface under any circumstance, artistic or otherwise, is a deeply misguided practice based on archaic theatrical traditions which have no place in modern society. It is offensive, humiliating, and outright racist. She's still listed to perform as Violetta for two performances on the theater's website. Uh, Oma Congo. She like, no, nah, no, nah, we good, we good, <laughs> we good. And 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 I love, I, I love how they said, we invited her. I'm sorry, what's the conversation?
10: That's right,
9: right, that's right.
10: You know, I I, I was so thrilled to see this story because it really harkened back to other great black performers and artists. I'm thinking about people like Josephine Baker, you know, who had a lot more on the line, but would refuse to play in front of segregated audiences, which would force the the organizers to have to integrate the shows. And so when they say things, oh, well, she kind of knew a little bit about this going in and agreed to it. First of all, I I, I question that. But second of all, when you actually see something like that in, in real life, it shocks you and it jars you. And it has been great for me to see, because I want to see more of it, right, to see more athletes, more musicians, more artists, people are using their public spaces to take a stand, because for too long, I feel like many of our artists today have done some strange things for change and are just kind of looking to get that buck to take them to the next level of, of stardom and the like. And we need these artists to have strong, principled stances to let people know this is not right. And let's also be mindful of the fact that this is important for the international audiences who do not understand or respect our history in the United States. And again, going back to the Josephine Baker model, right? So if you want to take us and have us be performing in these different spaces and places, do the work that's needed to understand our culture and don't just look at us as people who are going to get up there and chuck and jive because it might get thrown back in your face. And so she's also providing an international education for people who don't know or respect our culture. And for that, I also applaud her. Hey,
6: look, look, look. bottom line is, okay, to, to the theater. Why y'all got somebody in blackface? Look, mm-hmm. either go find somebody black, Julian, or just had a perform looking white.
9: You got it. I mean, in this particular play, <sighs> uh, blackface is theoretically being used because the character is with blackface is, be- is in Ethiopia. Um, and as you say, you can find a black person. You don't have to put blackface on. But if you look at the history of blackface in theater, We first began to see it, theater and movies, we first began to see it where? Birth of a Nation in 1915. Birth of a Nation. We all know what that film did in terms of perpetuating stereotypes, in terms of denigrating black people, in terms of basically portraying us as the basis, you know, with the black men chasing little Eva off a cliff, uh, theoretically because he wanted to rape her. Um, So that was the genesis of the use of blackface in art history. And so now we see, you know, 100 plus years later, 107 years later, this sister calling them out, which Oma Kanga was actually, was absolutely right and very well stated. Did, you know, she was right to call them out, But there are many others who do participate in these productions that do include blackface, which, as she said, is archaic and belongs no place in the modern world. And so good for her, but more importantly, this is an educational moment, and even more importantly than that, it is time for us to just dismantle these racist stereotypes. And they exist. They're persistent. They're consistent. And we have to be the ones to stand up and say, stop it. And the theater company is disingenuous. by inviting her to have a conversation. Really? What kind of conversation? Um, we didn't know. Yeah, you knew. Um, I don't blame her for not saying she doesn't want to talk to them, and they're pimping her by continuing to use her name after she said she wasn't going to be there. And so they have continued their racism, their racist exploitation, and their own predatory capitalism. Uh, Roland, you know I was going to put that in there. Their predatory (laughs) capitalism—the way that they've treated her and her talent.
6: Uh, I say this here, Jeff. Go ahead, keep advertising her. Watch y'all have a show, and she ain't there. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, the last thing, that's the last thing you want to do is raise that curtain and those lights come up and you don't see anybody. Uh, When you think about the history of theater, uh, you think about performers who started, the the history has been given in terms of how blackface made its way into the mainstream and that birth of the nation space. Uh, You think about great performers upon whose shoulders we stand like the great Burt Williams who was a Vaudeville star and and really opened the doors for many people, but who was forced because of the white performers who were performing in blackface to, as a black man, perform in blackface just to make a living. So many compromises that had to be made. In my first one-man show, I have a character who is an actor who is classically trained with a million degrees, and he actually puts on blackface. I've had to put the blackface on, do the burnt cork, blackface Mm. to make a point. It is a ghastly, disgusting, ironic moment uh, to see this classically trained actor who finds himself having to make a decision to wear blackface. In those moments where there there is a choice, where there's a parody that's made, we get to make those decisions on what is right and what is correct and what is not, not mainstream companies. And by doing this, you are telegraphing that you are completely out of touch with reality. Anyone who says we don't think it's a problem or we didn't realize it or we need to have a conversation, if you're producing theater and opera in 2022, you are completely out of touch with history and reality. That says something really, really big about where you are not in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. This equity piece is important because you were able to create uh, a massive production of Verdi's AIDA, and you were able to put actors in blackface. Aida is an opera that is an Italian opera that takes place in, guess where, Egypt. Sounds very, very, very uh, birth of the nation-ish and very creepy. You were able to pull this off and now you're bringing an uh, an African-American opera singer in to perform further in the season and when she says something, you say, we wanna have a conversation. (laughs) No, man, we don't wanna have a conversation. How do we fix this? The equity part, we got the diversity, we got the inclusion, but what's the equity part? The equity part is the money and the resources. So if you wanna fix something in this situation, my suggestion is clear. Scrap the entire rest of your season and then produce Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower with an all African-American cast, put your entire resources of your massive organization toward telling an authentic opera about black people in America.
6: Mm. Well, that's all you kind of got to do. All right, y'all, that is it for us. Uh, Let me thank Jeff, Amakongo and Julianne for being on today's show. Thank you so very much, Uh, folks. uh, Tomorrow's show, uh, look forward to uh, more news uh, of the day. Lots of stuff we're going to be carrying. Uh, And one of the things we're going to be talking about, of course, every Tuesday, our Marketplace segment where we feature black-owned businesses. And folks, let me say this here. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. See, I, I get a kick out of these people uh, who don't know nothing about media, but they want to tell us how to run a media company. Then they got the people who don't know nothing about journalism, but then want to try to say, well, who's the real journalist and who isn't? And then I get a kick out of these black people who love talking about black consciousness and black ownership, but then when you actually decide to own something and create something, then they have the audacity to try to say you're a failure because you left white-owned media. Y'all really crack me up because I think, frankly, y'all schizophrenic uh, with all of your stuff back and forth but uh, to all the folk out there like I like I got these people's talk about oh how we were underinsured with our sprinter well the maximum we could get on it was one hundred twenty-five thousand. so if you got nothing about business I mean that, that that was the maximum we looked at multiple insurance companies <clears throat> but let me say this to all the haters you know we don't care about y'all because see our fans got us our fans got us and it's been it hasn't even been three weeks Uh, since uh, we had the accident. And in fact, Deshaun, our driver, is driving right now down to Birmingham because we're gonna be in Birmingham for the SWAC Media Day. In the last three weeks, our fan base has come through to the tune of $40,000 to cover the additional cost for the upgrades for uh, our new Sprinter. Oh yeah, and see, for for all you Simple Simons out there, when you saw me say that the insurance is going to cover 125000 we would need another 100000 because we also are adding other safety features to it, OK? But again, that's what happens when you don't know what you're talking about. And so here's the deal. I don't worry about you all stuff. I'm not in your business. In fact, you don't even have a business. So I'm not in your business, and you don't have a business. So you might want to go get you some business. Cause I'm letting y'all know right now what's happening. Cause see, September 4th, we celebrate four years of Rolling Martin Unfiltered. Y'all fools said we were not going to succeed. We year four. We launched the Black Star Network on September 4th, 2021. It'll be one year. Guess what, we've launched six shows since we launched. Six. Four in February. Rolling was rolling as well. Then we launched the pivot with Stephanie Humphrey just this month. Just this month. So please, when y'all run y'all mouths talking about oh how we failing and all this sort of stuff, please, by all means. Matter of fact, Anthony, why don't you go ahead and just, just, just for all y'all, I guess this is failure. I guess this is failure. I guess all of this is failure. No, no, all of this, this. All of this, see, this ain't failure. See, what it's called is, it's called success. It's called black-owned success. And again, if y'all like to run y'all miles about what we're doing, guess what? We fully transparent. Now, see, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Because, see, I just want to go ahead and say right now, again, to all of our haters, guess what? We got two shows in development right now. Another daily show and another weekly show as we speak. We're having meetings to launch our 24 hour streaming channel by the fourth quarter of this year. See, this is what happens when you are not worried about what other people are doing and you are minding your business, which means building your business. And just for all, and again, for the haters, um, y'all don't have, I don't think you have it. I'm just gonna pull up on my Instagram page. Because see, for the haters too, just want to let y'all know, today, you know, one reason I'm like a little tired, uh, because I had to come to the office uh, a little bit early, uh, because um, today, we just had a little photo shoot at the office, because the LA Times is doing a story on what we've launched here. Damn, that failure looked really bad, don't it? And so, what is the lesson to everybody who's watching? The lesson is this. You cannot waste your time on people chirping on the sidelines. Pull the music down. You cannot waste your time with people chirping on the sidelines. Pull the music down. And so, because see, some of y'all are not living your dreams because you're listening to naysayers. Some of you are listening to people who have told you you can't do it. You're listening to people whose whole objective is to deride you, is to make you feel small. And what I need you to do is laugh at your haters. Because see, while they are busy hating on you, I mean, I literally had one person, I didn't even see the comment till today. They I made mean, this comment months ago. I had mentioned that AFSCME, the American Federation of State and County Municipal Employees, they were the first partner for Roland Martin Unfiltered. And this person was like, ooh, that is it is. That's not how business is done. Uh, it's called advertising. That's actually the backbone of media. And it is how business is done. But see, that's people who can't do those type of deals. And so they think that because a labor union supported us, ooh, there you go, you're being funded by the Democrats. No, no, no. See, when you're supported by a labor union, you're being supported by labor workers. And see, that's what what bothers y'all. Because see, the same black people, ask me, it's black people. SEIU is black people. Communication workers, that's black people. But see, again, haters. And so somebody who's watching right now, somebody who's listening right now, you have people, and you may have haters in your family. Let me just go ahead and say that. Jeff, he nodding his head, he know. You may have some haters in your family who are telling you, you cannot do this. You cannot accomplish the life goals that you have for yourself. That's what haters do. So, and, and, and I know somebody is sitting here, I know about somebody is sitting here and, and they're saying, well, it, Roland, it's best not to address them. No, I disagree. I totally disagree. Because see, biblically, they addressed haters. Go read Nehemiah, they kept building. Now, I done told y'all this whole thing before. So somebody out there, there are things that you have wanted to accomplish in your life, you have been unable to do so because you have spent more time listening to the haters as opposed to listening to God telling you do are do what you're supposed to do. And so that's why at every step of the way, when these people tweet me, I laugh. That's why I crack up laughing. That's why when I run into them, and they sit here and say stuff, I laugh. And I love it when they say, Oh, you're a failure. I'll take this failure any day of the week. I love it when they say, Oh, uh, you wish you were on one of these networks. Not when you're on your own network. See, I didn't get to the story, but Byron, I told you I mentioned, Byron Allen bought the assets for $11 million, a black news channel, uh, and he plans on relaunching the network and uh, more power to him. Uh, but But the point I'm still trying to get folk to understand is that there are too many black people right now who are walking around with ideas and visions and plans of action in their head. That's in their spirit that God gave them a long time ago, and they have yet to fulfill any of that because they have spent more time listening to people pull things out of them instead of pour into them. And so you need to understand that you cannot get so caught up in what these haters are saying. Nehemiah said, keep building With one hand, keep your other hand on your weapon. Because the haters said they could not rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And they kept building. And so I just want some of us to understand this. And so as we go up and as we launch something new and as we unveil a new show, and as we unveil new space, and as we gonna unveil our new mobile in September, I want all the haters to know that I see you, I hear you, and I literally am laughing at you because what you are doing is providing fuel for what we are doing. And if you ain't built nothing, like this fool Jerry Calloway uh, rolling is lying. Oh, please, Jerry, because, see, Jerry, let me show you how I know you a fool. You commenting on something I built. I ain't commenting on nothing of yours. See how that worked, Jerry? You just got embarrassed right here for being a new fool. See, that's why I keep telling y'all. See... I felt mainstream media wasn't doing us right. So I created something of my own. I'm sorry. I ain't worried about what they're doing. I don't even watch them. But we are building something, providing opportunities. And I'm telling you, and I've had this conversation with too many people in the last several weeks who have been there. You have been commissioned to do something and you have allowed other people to stop you from living your life from living your dreams. And that is the greatest failure. And there's nothing worse when your days are over and God said, what did you do with what I gave you? And your answer is, I listened to other people. And he says, but didn't I tell you to go forward? And you go, yeah, but I listened to my mama, my daddy, my brother, my sister, my grandmother, my cousin, my aunt, my uncle. I listen to a fool I don't even know. I listen to my sorority sister, my church member. He's like, but ain't none of them me. And so, I just want y'all to understand that. So y'all can go ahead and again, let your haters do what they do. And let them operate as simply stepping stones to your success. And every step of the way, every step of the way, when they say something, just do this here. Wave at them. Because trust me, you'll be waving down. Because you'll be higher than them, and they'll have no choice but to look up at you. I had one person say, man, he know he has failed as a journalist. I said, well, I guess when I go to NABJ in August, and when they celebrate the 2021 Hall of Fame class, and I'm on that stage, I guess I'll be up there failing. And then in October, when the Society of Professional Journalists had a convention here in DC, I'd be failing on that stage, too, when I'm inducted as one of the fellows, who's also their Hall of Fame. That's when you don't worry about Joe haters, because trust me, they can't even rewrite your resume, much less carry it. So for anybody out there, live your dreams, get started, and do your thing, and we're going to keep doing our thing Uh, And so for the folk who keep running their mouth, y'all go ahead and download the Black Star Network app, all platforms, because guess what? It's ours. We own it. And yes, to the haters, it costs $161,000 a year. And guess what? We pay for it all up front in December. Download uh, 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 Android phone, Apple phone, Android TV, Android uh, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Uh, and our goal, of course, uh, our fan base, they contribute to our show. They make all of this possible, along with our advertisers. Check our money orders. Go to PO Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal's R-Martin Unfiltered. Venmo's RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at RolandSMartin.com. Folks, uh, I'll see y'all tomorrow. Of course, and yes, I was rocking the shirt. Uh, my sister made a hashtag, Black Owned Media Matters. Mmm. See, the own part. It's the own part. Some of y'all cash checks. I'd rather write them. Holla! <laughs>
9: at work.